And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I am famous for recommending recording podcasts. Don't want to be hypocrite. All right, let's do this. Recording, recording. All right, I'm recording. Perfect. Get the mic up. Open up my diaphragm. <clears throat> How about we can just watch basketball? How about we can just watch basketball? Christmas Day games back on Friday, although only actually none of them were worth talking about. We might get into one of them, but Sunday and Saturday night were chock full of great action here, and that's why we're going to talk about it on the Athletic Podcast Network, because I'm Jared Weiss. I'm joined by the one and only Bo Keel. The legend Jade Hoy is making us sound clean and like we know what we're doing, but before we get into the show, I want to make sure that you don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season in 2020, so you can subscribe now and save with The Athletic by going to theathletic.com slash daily ding, where you can receive an all-access subscription and get one to give for free it's the holidays if you forgot to give your christmas gifts and you're like "Uh uh-oh i gotta make up for this one here i gotta give something that i know they're going to like we got you covered you go to theathletic.com slash daily ding where you can receive your all access subscription and you get to give one for free so coming up on today's show uh luca went off <laughs> luca really went off uh the pacers win off of a demonta sabonis game winner and the Rockets, they might be okay. But first, we're going to go back to that Mavs game against the Clippers because we had history, a 50-point halftime lead for the Mavs over the Clippers. Right after the Clippers seemed like they were pretty good, that was a record in the shot clock era, which means it's a record because no one ever talks about, hey, remember the records from before the shot clock era, Mo? So uh, this game was insane. It ends up in a 124-73 to win for the Mavericks, which... Believe it or not, was not indicative of how much of a blowout this was, even with that score. Uh, take me through the Luca show at the beginning of this game, Mo. I mean, the thing is, Luca got anywhere he wanted on the court at any point. The Clippers really had no chance at defending him. And, you know, we should mention that Kawhi Leonard didn't play the game. Uh, he took a massive elbow on Christmas Day <laughs> that required eight stitches, and uh, he ended up missing tonight today's game. But I don't even know if Kawhi could have stopped him today. He was unbelievable. Just there in the first quarter, he had 13 points, six rebounds, and four assists. Just in the first quarter. That's okay. I mean, you know, he was getting into the spots, getting into the lanes, finding guys. He found opportunities for Maxi Cleaver, for Josh Richardson. Like, he was just diamond guys out. Like, honestly, it was just an incredible performance to start the game from Luka. And, I mean, he closed the door on the Clippers before the door even opened. 
<laughs> yeah, he bolted the door down. He he was sitting there with a shotgun in hand, ready in case anybody came through. What what I really loved was that they came out after halftime. After I'm sure Tyloo was like, "Hey guys, nice season. Let's see if we can salvage something here." And Luca came out and continued to destroy them, throwing full court passes, breaking guys down off the dribble with hezzy moves, you know, whipping cross court passes after driving around the elbows. I mean, he was just doing really everything in his bag. And I, what I really loved was there was this one possession where he almost airballed a shot. And you're like, oh, wow, what little sliver of hope here late in the third quarter. And then was it Willie Collie I think, that got the rebound and he kicked it out to a teammate who hit a three. And you're just like, wow, there's literally nothing that Clippers could possibly try to accomplish in this game. I mean, look, the when you talk a little bit of hope, I mean, they scored the first 10 points in the third quarter and we're still down 40. Uh, you know, down 50 at the half, honestly, only scoring 27 points at halftime. You know, it, it was just a, it was a rough day for the Clippers. You know, we you could try to pin it on a million different things. Uh, but ultimately, at the end of the day, they didn't come to play and the Mavs were ready to roll. And that just made a whole difference. And the Mavs had a little more to play for being, you know, already having lost two games. Owen two, they didn't want to go back home you know, down Oh three, you know, they wanted to kind of start getting in the wind column and enjoying themselves there a little bit and having some of that fun that everybody else was getting into. So, you know, credit to them. They came out and they came out hard and it wasn't just Luca. Josh Richardson had a great game four eight from three for 21 points. I mean, they, they were just rolling Jared. Well, what I loved is that they had nine guys with a plus 20 or above in this game. And then Dwight Powell was a plus 12. So, I mean, I mean you win they, by 51, you're going to have a lot of guys, <laughs> right? But I just like that they spread the wealth, that every, they were just consistently dominant no matter who was out there in the rotation. And that's what we want to see out of this Dallas team. This Dallas team is the most centralized team talent wise in the entire NBA. So you want to see that steadiness out of them that it indicates that they're going to be able to perform up to their potential. It's very clear that they're doing that. Yeah, it was great. And then just the Clippers again, one more point. Four thirty-three from three. <laughs> That's, I mean, kudos to them for getting up thirty-three threes <laughs> in this game and at least sticking to it. <laughs> That's good to see. Uh, yeah, Paul George over six, Serge Ibaka over four. Even Luke Kennard went one for six. When you got your your one sharpshooter out there going one for six, and that's probably your best performance. So Reggie, wow, Reggie Jackson was their best three-point shooter and two for five from the field. So you know what? Not everything was terrible. At least Reggie Jackson almost shot 40% from three. Uh, if you ask Clipper fans, that's a that's that's terrible to them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's go from terrible to great. Saturday night, James Harden finally playing. He looks out of shape. We know he's been just spending the last few weeks popping bottles every single night, cruising around, checking out all the best clubs that America has to offer, or trying to be out there supporting his people, becoming a boss. And what does he do? He comes out there, and he is an absolute boss, <laughs> just putting up the kind of numbers that, you know, is just like unfathomable I would say for pretty much any other player in the NBA but then with, for some reason with James Harden it just doesn't even stand out that much but it's 12 for 22 from the field 6 for 13 from the line 14 for 16 I'm sorry 14 for 16 from the line 6 for 13 from deep 44 points and 17 assists and yet the team still loses 128 to 126 to the Blazers because C.J. McCollum had 44 points, 
Dame Lillard had 32 points. Ennis Cantor came off the bench with 10 and 9, while Yusuf Nurkic at 12 and 11, and six times for him. McCollum and Lillard, eight and nine times respectively. I mean, these guys are close to double doubles, even though they're putting up insane scoring numbers. This game was just absolutely phenomenal. But let's start where obviously we have to begin, which is were you at all surprised to see Harden walk out there, like kind of visibly look like he's not in shape yet, and still put up the kind of numbers that most people could only dream of? Not really. And and here's the, here's the thing, Jared, you know, the, the Rockets came into this team with no John Wall, with no Eric Gordon, with no DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, it was basically James Harden, Christian Wood and everybody else. And from that point, which is a lot, like, which, well, OK, well, sure. Um, <laughs> I looked at it going like, oh, this ball is going to be in James Harden's hand the entire game. And it was. Now, here's the thing. And this is the important thing that matters. He delivered. And, and and that's really the more the the most impressive thing about it, you know. He to start the game, they were kicking the Blazers' ass. You know, they were they were really giving it to him in the beginning of this game. I think they were up, you know, as much as like ten to to uh, twelve points in the first half, and then the Blazers kind of turned it on in the second half defensively and and got themselves going. But for a minute, it looked like we were going to head into not just a. a hard and kind of killing the Blazers, but it was going to be a blowout style. I mean, you didn't even mention Christian Wood, who had 31 points and 13 rebounds. Like that, that was a solid tandem just between the two of them. And it was a it was fun to watch Harden. Whatever you think of all the off-court antics and things like that, it was fun to watch Harden just go to work and cook. And look, man, this game goes to overtime. It's incredibly tight. James Harden hits a three to go up. Two, excuse me. And then CJ McCollum comes down and, and Daniel House for some reason leaves him on a <laughs> on a on on a dame drive and, and dame finds CJ for the game winning three. I mean, like I don't know, man. It was it was a lot of fun basketball to watch on Saturday night because of that. There were twenty six lead changes in this game. Uh, the longest run was a 10-point run. The The Rockets, so they built up that 16-point lead in the second quarter. What was impressive was that, you know, the, the Blazers, they whittled that back down to about a five-point lead just before halftime. But then coming out of the half, the Rockets, they built that back up. They went back up on a nice little run there. And you're thinking, oh, this could be easy for the Blazers to fall apart. But that's when they really seized the game halfway through the third quarter. And, you know, the Blazers, they they once again, they have a really nice balance across the depth of their roster. Uh, and then, of course, those nights when CJ and Dame are on top of their game, they're you know, they can they can hit up there with anybody in the league. They're really as good as it gets. But one of the things I thought was really interesting was David Nwaba was actually making his making himself felt in this game. And that was just something that. You know, of all the usual cast of characters that you expect to see in a game like this, um, you know, having it's one thing to have Christian Wood come out there and make an impact, but David Nwaba coming out there and you know chipping in ten points or so in this game, like that, that was a real surprise. There, it seems like there's a lot more than meets the eye with, with James Harden coming back here with this team. Wait, wait, first put a little respect on University High School legend. David Nwaba out here from uh, good old Los Angeles. You put respect on that name, Jared. I will not tolerate I'm anything other than that. I'm trying to put respect on it. You sounded surprised. I'm not surprised because I know what David Nwaba could do. Um, no, it was fun to watch. I mean, there's not much more we can say about it. I mean, I thought the the Blazers did a really good job defensively in the, you know, 
almost the second half of the second half. You know, I thought Covington was a good doing a good job rotating over and things like that. I think it made a difference for this Blazers team to get the win. And, you know, as you know, just for Harden, it's kind of interesting. I still really want to see what this team looks like when they do have Harden, Wall, uh, Eric Gordon, Christian Wood, Cousins coming off the bench. Like, I kind of want to see what this team looks like before we get too crazy and all the, well, we've already crossed the point of trade talks. <laughs> yeah, I know. But you know what? Sterling Brown, he went four for five in this game. Jay Sean Tate, uh, when the ball isn't being thrown at him and he's actually getting passes, he's pretty solid. He went five for nine. He had 13 points in this game. So the guys stepping in for Eric Gordon, John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins being hurt, they, they were carrying the water when they had to. So this team could be an exciting team, could be a playoff team. I, I mean, I think very likely could, would be a playoff team or at least in the uh in the play in the play in tournament mix uh, with James Harden staying there. And I think what, what I really took away from this game was that there's been a lot of talk about should teams trade for James Harden. Do you want the headache? All that kind of stuff. I think he reminded all of us. Yeah, I'm worth a headache. I'm worth putting up with whatever you got to put up with. Cause I am an unstoppable offensive force. Unlike anything in the league. <laughs> He's Donos. He's Donos. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll kiss the rings. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, let's get to our shocker of the day. The Hornets beat the Nets, which maybe last year wouldn't have been news, but this year certainly is news. 106 to 104. They just squeaked through. Gordon Hayward, the $30 million man again, uh, he had 28 points on 12 for 20 shooting, seven dimes on six boards. He was everything that they were hoping he would be coming into the year. Terry Rozier, he went seven for 14 from the field and had 19 of his own. PJ Washington, 14 and 12 and five dimes out of the four spot. Bismack Biyombo as a starter had 12 points on five for six shooting, but that was pretty impressive. Uh, LaMelo Ball, he had six points. He had five dimes, five boards. Wasn't a great shooting night for him, though he did go two for three from the field. So this was a pretty impressive game from the Hornets going up against Brooklyn, who KD and Kyrie, they had once again, very, really tight efficient games 29 points on 9 for 15 shooting for KD 25 on 10 for 17 shooting for Kyrie Jared Allen he came in with 8 points and 14 boards DeAndre only 1 point but he had those 12 boards you know they're going to rack it up but so you know this was a game where I think both sides pretty much were kind of playing their game as you would expect it and it was just impressive that Charlotte, it seems to be, has enough firepower that they can compete when they're playing their best against a team like Brooklyn. No, I mean, look, Charlotte's got talent. Like, I, I, I don't know, I don't know really where it's going to lead them to. It's not like they got great top end talent. But Gordon Hayward, 
listen, before all the injuries and before everything that happened in Boston, was a hell of a ball player, you know, and he's showing it here now with the 28 points in this game. I thought, you know, and, and a well-rounded seven, seven assists, six rebounds. I think he's just kind of showing this is what they can do. Terry Rozier can play, you know, and the, the other thing that this team does is they actually play defense. This is, you got to give a lot of credit to coach James Borrego. I mean, he gets the most out of these guys and he gets them to compete on both ends of the court. You know, I thought this, this game says, said a lot about the Hornets character. Uh, they're, you know, they haven't won a game yet. This is their first win. Shocker. It's against the Nets <laughs> and they, they pull off the upset, but you know, they kind of just stayed with it. They've been in close games. They lost a tough one to the thunder, uh, you know, I believe on, on Saturday night and this on the second night of a back-to-back, they come in and they perform extremely well. Like I, I'm really impressed with this team. They got a lot of t- talent. I don't know if it's enough to take you into the playoffs. Maybe they're a playing team in the, in the East, but I don't know if they're going to be in the, they're definitely, I don't think they're going to be in the top six, but the, the, the more interesting thing for me, Jared, was this game was kind of a very, this showed you all the stuff that can go wrong with Brooklyn. You know, we saw in the the previous games, you know, what it looks like when it goes right. Basically, everybody's clicking and things like that. Spencer Dinwiddie goes down with a sprained knee. You have Harris LeVert, you know, struggling, going four for 12 from the field. You know, Kyrie and KD aren't going to be just enough, right? And, and only way it is when it's the two of them going to be just enough is when they go nuclear and they both have 50. But I think this is going to be a, this is the challenging stuff that they're going to have to figure out because I thought they couldn't do it. Anything they did a good job defending the perimeter. Yeah, you know, in those previous couple games that Brooklyn had played, there was a li- it was a little bit higher usage from KD and Kyrie, and they just kind of knocked the doors off whoever they were facing. But that wasn't the case this time, and there, I think, because of that, there wasn't that much responsibility on the guys surrounding them to really put up numbers. But I think this time they just needed it a little bit more. And so when you have Landry Shaman and Torian Prince combining for 0 for 14 from the field, that's when you're really feeling it. Uh, so maybe they're going to need to see Irving and Durant taking closer to 20 shots a night. And I mean, hey, they looked incredible. I mean, that Irving, that that uh, switching the hand and midair layup was really spectacular. I mean, we could see these guys, as far as their craft is concerned, they're really performing at the top level. Uh, but they... This team clearly has a talent to be the juggernaut. And then the question is really, can Karis and Joe Harris, I didn't mean to rhyme that, can they step up in a consistent enough basis that they can kind of carry things when Katie and Kyrie aren't going to be super high usage? Because you know that you can't sustain that over the course of the year. And so far, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag. And this was the time it really showed itself. But I do want to give credit to Timothy Luau-Cabarro. Uh, TLC has been really strong for them really revived his career last year and is continuing to earn a rotation spot with this team so I, at least that was the one silver lining you get to take away from brooklyn in this game and we got to talk about also the fact is they were a kd mid-range jumper away from tying this game and going to overtime sure. like you know i mean when kd pulls up i mean first he catches it at the above the break three or closer to the slot it looked like he had a wide open three. He passes up on that drives base, you know, drives towards the baseline and pulls up. And even though it's Bismack Biombo giving him the contest, I don't know about you, but I thought the shot was going in. I was like, oh, this is going to be a tight game, um, you know, and it just kind of rimmed out. But like they were right there as well. So for all the problems that that they had in this game in terms of not getting other guys to show up and defensive issues, I mean, they were still right in this. It's just also like you 
shouldn't have to worry about this game against Charlotte. Yeah, but you know what? Going back to what you were saying about Hayward, uh, the beginning of last season, Hayward looked like this. He looked like he was going to be an all-star, and then he broke his hand running into LaMarcus Aldridge a couple weeks into the season, and that he fell off because of that. Thankfully, you know, he did hurt himself uh, running into somebody again uh, earlier this uh, preseason, I think, right? And uh, thankfully, it didn't take him out. So hopefully, the bad luck doesn't come around again. You know, Hayward has just been getting consistent bad luck with his injuries and right now he looks i mean he just looks physically different he is moving with intensity and purpose he feels really comfortable out there even though they're just kind of building the offense around him this team is going to continue to get better over the course of the year as they continue to build that offense around hayward and you're right about borrego i mean borrego the fact that this team wasn't like the worst team in the NBA last year, I think shows how good of a coach Perigo is that he was able to squeeze some wins out of them. But you know what? Terry Rogier for all the flack that he catches, he's showing, I think this season, he's a, he's a good two way player. And when you can keep him under control and playing within the system, he can be very effective. And they've got a lot of guys like that. And I think they have just enough talent now that it's actually coming together. All right, well, let's end it here with the team that the Nets at least kicked uh, their asses on Christmas. That was the Celtics. They lost to the Pacers in Indiana, 108 to 107. Domas Sabonis has a game-winning and one, although he missed the free throw, driving on Rob Williams uh, with the few seconds left. Why you got to mention he missed the free throws? Why you got to mention that? Why can't well, you just, it's just, an just Yeah, but why can't you just – they didn't know that. But you, didn't to, you didn't have to ruin that for him. Okay, there's gonna be there's gonna be one commenter on the athletic, which by the way, if you subscribe, you can go to the app and you can leave comments on the podcast episodes. They're gonna be like, Jared, why are you saying it's Nand one? I'm looking at the play by play. I see two points. I don't see three points here. It's on Nand one. So I want to get the facts straight because I'm a journalist and that's what we do. We get the facts straight here at the athletic. And factually, he drew an and one, but he missed a free throw. So what do we call it? An and zero? I don't know. We'll let we'll do it. I bet Nerdershira will tackle that one. You, you and Dave and Seth can yell about that later. But then Jason Tatum gets the ball in isolation, uh, takes a pretty ill-advised shot, which is a step back thirty footer, and gets run into by Malcolm Brogdon as he's landing. He does have his foot kind of kicked out, but looking at the replay, it shows that Malcolm Brogdon was right in his landing space. There, they don't call the foul. Tatum just seems to just be mad at himself for not trying to draw the foul. What did you think of those last few sequences there, Mo? Well, even the sequence before the Sabonis uh, and one or and zero, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> um, you know, the that was wild. You know, the, the paces inbound the ball. Uh, TJ Warren turns it over. Marcus Smart gets a steal and then he gets a layup and the, the Celtics are up one. I mean, the whole kind of, the final few possessions was a bit weird in that sense, but ultimately I didn't mind that foul not being called at the end of the day on, on, on Tatum's three. And here's the thing. We saw Tatum get away with this little step back three, banking it in against the bucks on, on opening night for the Celtics. Oh yeah. It, you know, we, we saw him do, I, I, was it against the heat? He did the similar thing in a game winning situation and missed. Yes, yes. This 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 step back three for the game winner now. I think off the top of my head is three times I've seen it from Tatum and he's made one. 
might want to try to get something a little bit different. Try to get something maybe, you know, this one was short clock, so it was more of a catch and shoot scenario. But, you know, try to get something going a little bit more forward instead of, you know, t- going with the step back. I just didn't didn't like the shot, didn't like the selection, didn't like the play call either from Stevens. I thought maybe get something with a little more movement and a little more actions to free him up. Uh, overall, I just didn't think this was a, a good play call at the end for the Celtics. And, and, um, I, I think the refs got it right. Yeah. You, I, I disagree on, I thought the foul call should have been called, but regardless, you know, I, I talked to Tatum after the game and he said that there, I guess there was a first option or another option. When you watch the play, uh, Grant Williams inbounds the ball to him with about, I think like seven seconds left or so Williams runs by him. doesn't really try to like fake the slip screen. And so the Pacers don't switch. And then you don't really see any other action besides that. It looks like it just goes into ISO from there. So I don't really know what the other, what the other option on that play was supposed to be, but Tatum to his credit made it very clear. He, he hears what you're saying, Mo. He, he didn't specifically shout you out, but I'm pretty sure he meant, he definitely heard what you had to say because he said, I got to be more aggressive. I got to put more pressure on the defense. Got to put more pressure on the refs to make a call that I, I got to I got to take the attack to them. I think he's recognizing he got lucky on that shot against Giannis. We're like, that shot was worse than missing it. <laughs> like <laughs> he wasn't calling bank. So that means if you bank it in that you really missed, that was way off. So like th- that's, that shot was so lucky that it was almost a negative. And I think he recognizes this now that's like, he's got to stop settling into these shots. Even if they do feel comfortable, you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable because he had the ball for several seconds there and he let it wind down. You can do that when it's a tie game. You, you know, if you miss, you're going to overtime, but not when you're down, when you're down, you have to attack as soon as you can create an option for yourself and you want to attack earlier so that if the first action doesn't work, you can reset out of it and try again. And he's got to learn how to be a smarter finisher because we saw in the playoffs last year, that's the big gap for him at this point. He can, he still put up uh, like a 25, 10 and five or something like that in this game. So like he's still putting up like all NBA numbers, but there is a huge gap. I wrote about this in my story the other day on The Athletic, which you should read if you subscribe, how there is a vast gap between good and great. And he's still navigating those waters and he's not a great yet. And this is the way that he actually gets there. Yeah, and he's not supposed to be great yet. He's still a baby. He's 22. Well, yeah, he's 19, he's, but he's 22. I mean, he's still a child, you know, granted he has one, but also like he's still, he's still, <laughs> he's still a baby himself, you know, in, in that sense, especially in basketball terms, you know, and, you know, I, he's going to be fine in the long run. You know, the, the real issue I have for the Celtics, Jared is just, I'm more and more concerned with their playmaking. Oh, it's bad. You know, it feels like, and we understand, I understand it. Kemba Walker's out. Uh, even Romeo Langford's out. You have Jeff Teague, who's learning the system and coming in off the bench. But like, this is becoming a real issue and it's been an issue for the past few games. And, you know, then the other thing too, and this was really highlighted in this game, you bring a guy like Tristan Thompson so you don't get d- dominated by guys like DeMontis Sabonis, you know, and for Sabonis to be able to get 19, 10, and 5 off of you, like that's that's another issue. Like the, the, I have I have a little bit of concerns here with what I'm seeing from the Celtics. You know, I, I didn't think it would be like they'd be dominant off the bat just with all the injuries, but I didn't imagine they would struggle as much as they have with just getting good shots it's such a struggle on every possession to get a clean look 
I'll just say counterpoint on the Sabonis numbers. Uh, nineteen ten and five is pretty pedestrian for Thomas Sabonis at this point. So I, he he definitely had a good game, but like that's just Thomas Sabonis at this point. He's it's that's not even good for him, honestly. But you're right, and um, and I I'll have a story on that later this week. If people don't know and they're new to the show, I'm the Celtics beat writer at the Athletic, along with Jay King. So that's why I have all these Celtics articles I'm plugging on the show. But uh. I, and I did write after this game about Rob Williams, who they had out there at the end there, who was the one that got scored on on Sabonis. And part of it is that, like, right now, Brad Stevens, he's in this, I wouldn't say rebuild, but they're in this phase early this year where it's like they know they don't have Kemba. They know that they're, they didn't replace Gordon Hayward, and they're probably going to use that giant trade exception that they got for him at the trade deadline to bring in another starter for this team. So right now, they're kind of in this moment where they have to, figure out what do they have around the roster. So they're putting Rob Williams out there when he's having a solid night and having him finish the game when you would usually have Tristan Thompson or Daniel Tice finish it, which was a very surprising move and a very deliberate move by Stevens. Uh, The other night, he had Aaron Neesmith out there when they were trying to come back against the Nets. And Aaron Neesmith, who is supposed to be the sniper, airballed his first three of his entire career by like a foot and a half. But then to his credit, later in the game, nailed the second shot that he got. So I mean, that's like a running back fumbling his first possession like he's gonna be fine he'll be fine but the point is is that they're throwing a lot of these guys into the deep end even if they're i mean rob williams should be ready to get to the deep end like he's in his third season but i think they're doing a lot of this stuff and peyton pritchard right now is swimming right away and he's looking pretty solid and he went uh five for five in this game while rob williams went six for seven so like some of these guys are showing that they can get it done actually most interestingly was jeff teague went 0 for 6 from the field, but then 9 for 10 from the line. I looked it up, and Derek Jones and Kent Bazemore are the only two other players in the last three seasons to not make a field goal but still have 10 free throw attempts in a single game. So that's a very impressive act of mediocrity there by Jeff Teague. But so, you know, this team, they're they're really disjointed right now. Brown and Tatum are completely carrying the offense. They're carrying the usage pretty significantly. But when those guys aren't on the floor together – there is this massive imbalance on the floor with the offense where all the playmaking is on one side of the floor. And then if they want to try to swing it to the other side, they just don't have guys there right now that can actually make a playoff of it because they're just thin with their top end talent. And so something has to change with this roster or some of these younger guys and Teague needs to like kind of find their footing fast. But I'd expect this to be a really slow process for this team. And they're going to they're in for a difficult transition right now. Yep, you said it better than anybody else could. Well, I guess that's why I get paid to cover them. So that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you for sticking along with us. I'm Jared Weiss. He is Mo DeKeel. Don't forget about the other great basketball shows that we have across the Athletic Podcast Network. We still have your favorite shows like the Athletic NBA show, No Dunks, House of Strauss, plus over a dozen team-specific shows available from some of your favorite athletic beat writers. And don't forget that you got to follow us on the app so you can get notifications for new episodes and you can utilize those episode comment sections that we were talking about before. I want to hear from you. Do you like and one? Do you like and zero? We we need an answer and you're going to give us that answer. And if you're not a member of The Athletic, you're in luck because you can get all of our podcasts ad free and you can get all the great writing that we have across all the major sports 
all for a super low price if you just go to theathletic.com slash daily ding and you can still give away a bonus sub to somebody that you love or someone that you hate if you hate the athletic and you want someone to be miserable reading my work send them that bonus sub as long as you sub to and then i'm going to change your mind eventually because this is a great program it's a great outlet and you're going to enjoy it so theathletic.com slash daily ding as always thank you for waking up with us mo let's get out of here ding ding As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.